0: Hey guys, my name is Craig Sturton and welcome to the first edition of the Free Drop podcast. As you may have gathered from the name, Free Drop is a golf-centric podcast that will offer analysis and comment on the goings-on in the game of golf on a week-to-week basis. As somebody with a partial disability and a member of the South African Disabled Golf Association, I also feel very strongly about the personalities and the stories that make golf the great game that it is. As there is zero golf of any consequence taking place anywhere in the world at the moment, we begin with the story of Keen Dry, who went from being a promising young rugby player to losing his leg and ultimately bouncing back to become a provincial disabled golfer. Hope you enjoy it and thank you so much to Keen for the time. Sick, thanks so much for making the time, dude. It's a pleasure. So, I mean, if you'd just mind sort of providing a bit of insight into your sort of upbringing, where where are you from, where you went to school, and stuff like that.
1: Um, yeah, so basically, I went to school in Jo'burg. Um, school called King Edward the Seventh, and then um, yeah, I grew up in small town in uh, Limpopo called Tabazumbi, and then yeah, I basically made my way to Jo'burg when I went to high school, and then yeah. Uh, ended up in Joburg for a while, then finished school. Then I went to play rugby abroad and then, um, yeah, I basically came back and then continued studying and then moved down to Cape Town for work.
0: Tell me about the, the role that sport played in your, in your life growing up. Um,
1: I think it gave me an opportunity to see the world, um, but not just the world, the country, and also build friendships and relationships with people from different backgrounds. So I think sport brings people together.
0: Would you mind just sort of giving me some insight into your sort of progression as a, as a sportsman sort of through school and, and after school?
1: Um, yeah, so in school, obviously, um, I participated in a lot of sports, um, ranging from like athletics, swimming, um, rugby, cricket pretty much all round, and then when I got to grade 11 uh, I kind of had to make a decision on what what sport I wanted to pursue so then I went along with rugby um, yeah and then basically did that alongside swimming and water polo just to keep myself fit and then yeah I, I pursued rugby after school so that was kind of the career I wanted to pursue at the time
0: so I mean when did you when did you know that you would sort of be good enough to to make a career out of it after school?
1: Um when I was in matric, um I got approached by an agent. Um he worked in France. So he obviously got in contact with me, um, sent some of my videos and stuff abroad, and then I got offered a almost I would say under 23 contract in France and yeah, so basically halfway through matric or grade 12.
0: And what what was what was the experience in France like? It must have been quite a quite a change from a cultural point of view.
1: Yeah, so, so the first three months was quite difficult, um, you know, not being able to speak the language. Um, but yet again, met new people, m- made new friends, um, people that could help me speak the language and then also people that were able to translate and people from similar backgrounds to mine. So, um, yeah, the transition in the beginning was quite difficult, but um, over the year and a half that I spent abroad, um, it was actually pretty cool. Got to see the world, like I said, that's what I wanted to use sport as. And, yeah, like I said, I made, made quite a few new friends. So,
0: yeah. Where exactly in, in France were you, were you based?
1: Um, I was in a town just outside of uh, Bordeaux, so in south of France. Um, it's called Monte Massan, and uh, yeah, so I played in a club for a club there um, in the second division, so just below the top fourteen.
0: Oh, okay, sick. Yeah, sick. And I mean, obviously, to sort of have the the sporting success that you had, I mean, a lot of people generally attribute that to having a good sort of support structure around them when they're sort of growing up and and as they get older. Who who would you say was sort of key to your to your development as a as a player and and also as a person, I guess?
1: Yeah, so obviously the first people would definitely be my family. Um, family obviously always comes, you know, into the picture growing up, supporting and stuff. You know, even if people didn't think you were good enough. Um, and then yeah, I would just go back to some of my high school coaches. Um, one of them would be Karl Spol- Spillhouse, and then the other would be. Johan uh, Fisaki, both of them quite recognisable coaches in South Africa and in the schoolboy industry. So, yeah, I would go back to them. And then obviously, you know, you've got your friends and stuff that obviously always support you and you play alongside. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I mean, obviously, like, I'm sure when you when you finished school, you must have thought that playing professional rugby was, was something you were going to do for... For the better part of ten or twelve years, but obviously things didn't quite turn out like that. Yeah. Would you mind sort of? Would you mind sort of touching on exactly what happened?
1: Yeah. You? So basically, when I came back from overseas, um, obviously you know came coming back to study. I then played uh, under twenty one curry cup for the Pumas in Pumalanga.
0: What What year are we talking?
1: Uh, twenty. Twenty fifteen. Okay. Yeah, and um, yeah. So then I uh, yeah finished the season with him. That was in September, and the week after my season ended, I was involved in a car accident, which then obviously changed my career path a little bit.
0: What are the sort of weeks and months like after the accident? Because.
1: Yeah, so basically after my accident, 13 months, I was on crutches and I was obviously fighting um, an amputation of my ankle because um, they were obviously severely damaged it in the car accident. And yeah. Um, yeah, I just kind of fought it for 13 months and got off the crutches and I thought I was going to be back in the game and I was going to be able to play rugby again. Um, mm. that wasn't the case as the doctors informed me that I would, you know, injure myself badly if I carried on playing or even try to play at all. Um, yeah. so that stopped my rugby career and I got a bit into triathlon and then, uh, okay. yeah. So during the whole process of doing triathlon and stuff like that, I was always fighting amputation. So
0: every checkup I had was kind of
1: reverting back to amputation mm. and then, and then wait,
0: yeah.
1: sorry, no, carry on.
0: No, I was going to say, and then when did you sort of finally decide that that amputation was the only really course of action?
1: Yeah, so basically, um, I studied engineering. So my my line of work was always on site and stuff. And walking and standing was quite painful for long periods of time. So in Mm. 2018, um, at the end of 2018, I went to see a doctor in Pretoria. And um, kind of made the decision from there. So I had my amputation done in 2019, April 2019. So almost a year ago.
0: Cool. And I mean, just sort of switching, switching pace a bit, and sort of turning to golf. I mean, had you had you played much golf before your accident?
1: Um, not before my accident, but after my accident, I had to find something to keep myself busy. So I got into golf. Um, And, uh, yeah, so that was towards the end of 2016. It was kind of about two months or a month after I uh, got off crutches and uh, wanted to start getting active and busy. So I started playing golf. (laughs) I was actually playing right-handed before. Um, Mm. And then, um, yeah, so after my amputation, which was, like I said, April last year,
0: um,
1: in August, I started playing left-handed and tried to take it a bit more serious.
0: And, I mean, what, what was that? Before the amputation... I mean, the couple of years that you did, that you did play, or sorry, I'm sort of getting a bit mixed up with my timeline, but, um, with, with your golf before, before you, um, had the prosthetic fitted, what was that? What was that like? I mean, that must've been a pretty painful experience to go through.
1: Yeah. So it was a constant, you know, like I said, I was always in pain. So it was a constant thing, but, um, you know, for example, playing golf uh, on a Saturday afternoon with my mates or whatever. Um, I'd struggle to walk for two days after that. So, um, the Phew. yeah, the ankle or well, my pain in my ankle was actually, you know, it was quite hectic. But obviously, it pushed through because I always thought I was going to get back to different types of sports and, you know, more active sports. But obviously, that didn't happen. So, yeah, I would say about two days off like struggling to walk after playing a round of golf. So, you know, when it got to the point where it started affecting every single thing I did, that's when I, you know, like I said, I had to make a decision. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And when you, you mentioned that you, that you switched from playing right-handed to, to left-handed, what what was the thought process behind that?
1: Um, I just thought, you know, like, um, I used to be able to hit the ball <laughs> relatively long. Um, so then, uh, I kind of, you know, played one one round right-handed after my uh, amputation, and felt that you know I wasn't generating any power. I was going to struggle playing, so I mm. I went to the pro shop and uh, kind of hit a few left-handed clubs and uh, decided you know maybe this would work. So I then sold my right-handed clubs and bought left-handed clubs and try to you know try to improve myself. So
0: yeah, and um. I mean, how soon after the accident and, and having your prosthetic fitted did you did you find out about uh, Sadga?
1: Um So I've got one mate, um, or it's one of my brother's friends really, but Gareth Dudgeon, he's part of the Sadgar group and he plays under them. Yeah. And uh kind of just uh, spoke to him and he let me know that I should come join one tournament. So I think... <laughs> after buying my left-handed clubs on the, I think it was around about the Tuesday, on the Sunday I played in the first tournament in uh, Pretoria. Uh, but obviously just for fun, just to see how it is and stuff. And I kind of really enjoyed it. So wanted to get into it.
0: And what was it like sort of playing a competitive round sort of so soon after getting getting your clubs? Uh, it must have been quite strange.
1: Yeah, so obviously um, it's a bit frustrating, obviously, because... Uh, I came from a low handicap, playing right-handed, um, so you know expectations are always there. But um, I knew that I obviously had different challenges now. So it was kind of just to experience. But like I said, uh, it was it was it was frustrating in the sense of not being able to play or do what I used to do, and as well as I used to do in the beginning. Uh, yeah, yeah.
0: No, I'm sure it must be quite a quite a rough thing to to go through, and yeah, quite a an emotional roller
1: coaster. Sorry, I lost you there, but...
0: No, I said it must have been quite a quite an emotional roller coaster and quite frustrating at times.
1: Yeah, especially especially in the beginning. Um, but yet again, you set challenges and you get challenges in life and then you just have to, you know, um, figure them out yourselves because no one's, no one's going to do it for you. So um, I was willing to take the time out of my day to improve and uh, get better and, you know, uh, make use of the decision that i made in the sense of uh changing from from right to left-handed
0: yeah. yeah and chat to me about the thought process and the thinking behind moving from pretoria to to cape town because I mean, obviously that is quite a significant yeah. change in your life
1: yeah so basically um before i had my amputation i was uh, working for a company down here or based in Gauteng, but we were developing in the state in Somerset West. So I was really originally down here, and when I had my amputation, I then moved back to um, to Joburg for the time period, which was, um, obviously, like I said, last year, April, and then decided to move back um, to Cape Town in September last year, so 2019. So okay. So. Yeah, my my friends and family, or your know, friends and girlfriend and some family members stayed down here, so it was kind of it wasn't a difficult decision to make to move back. Um, the lifestyle is a bit better as well, um, but yeah, <laughs> in general, it's just uh, it was an easy decision to be honest.
0: Yeah, I mean, also it's it's been pretty good for your for your golf. I mean, you just need to take one look at your handicap record sheet to see that you play a, a lot of golf. Um. And I mean, also through that, you, you managed to to make your Provincial Challenge debut. What What is that like?
1: Um, sorry, I caught a bit of your question. So I'm just assuming you said something about the Provincial Challenge. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, okay, well, in general, yeah, I do try to keep myself active and busy. So I do try and play enough golf <laughs> or quite a bit of golf um, just to, you know, like I said, I'm willing to take the time out of my day to improve. So, yeah, that came Obviously, with a reward for the Provincial Challenge. Um, and the debut that I made at the Provincial Challenge, I feel like um, I was a bit underestimated, obviously, because I was a bit new, um, sometimes a bit inconsistent. Um, but yeah, I think the debut that I did make, um, I feel like I came out and I proved the points. And obviously, I uh, contributed towards the team's points. So I'm happy.
0: And I mean, what what was that sort of pressure like? Sort of playing in that in that sort of environment, as opposed to playing on on the rugby field.
1: Um, very similar, to be honest. Um, I think every sportsman has their their way of dealing with things and thinking about things. So, um, for me, I know when things are serious and when things are not serious, or if I can put it in better words, competitive or not competitive, and. Um, as soon as something turns competitive, then I give my hundred and ten percent to be honest. So when it gets to any type of sport, um yeah, I like to I like to be the best. I'm very competitive. So yeah.
0: And what what are your what are your aspirations sort of going forward on the on the golf course? Um
1: yeah, obviously just to get a bit more consistent. Um, um and then obviously also still have, like being up like how do I say, uh given the opportunity to still enjoy it as much as I am. So if it gets more serious or more competitive, that I still enjoy it. So um, I think for a, like a two or three year plan, it would be to, uh, you know, play a lot of events. Um, so try and get overseas and just go experience the tournaments, get it, my world ranking up and obviously then try and qualify for um, possible 2028 20, 20 Olympics, I think. Mm.
0: And I mean, it must be be quite disappointing that the uh, Canon SA Disabled Open has has been cancelled. What are your your feelings about that? (laughs)
1: Um, Yeah, so it would have been my first one, just like in the Provincial Challenge. Um, So obviously, it's been a lot of hard work and, you know, preparation going into it. So, you know, (laughs) natural causes, um, you know, obviously um, come around and hopefully it doesn't affect our tournament too much um, or at all. Um, if it does obviously it gives me opportunity to work towards the next one Um, but yeah it would have been quite cool and uh, to you know how do I say quite cool to you know be a part of that and for my first one to be down in Durban
0: yeah well hopefully we can hopefully there'll still be something later in the year but we'll we'll see I think there's still a lot of things that need to happen obviously but um, yeah just some sort of quick fire questions to, to finish okay who was your who was your favorite rugby player growing up?
1: Uh Ferrido Priya.
0: Okay. Very very good good answer there. And your favorite memory watching sport?
1: Sorry, so repeat that.
0: Your favorite memory watching sport? Like on TV or live or whatever?
1: Watching sport. Yeah. I'm losing you a bit. Sorry, say again.
0: What was your what is your favorite memory of watching sport?
1: Yeah, there's a couple. Um, obviously, the World Cup last year that can take, like you know, the, tops it. Um, yep. Yeah. But I, in general, every every big sporting moment is one of my favorite sporting moments because obviously, it's in general it's different. So if it goes from Olympics to tennis to swimming, uh, rugby, mm. cricket, everything. Um, but yeah, let's let's top it up with uh, the twi- uh, the rugby World Cup in Japan last year.
0: Okay, sick. And then if you could be stuck in a lift with anyone, who would it be and why?
1: Yeah. Um I think Trevor Noah. I think he can keep me entertained. Um uh, he's quite <laughs> a funny oak. Yeah, definitely. It'll probably be him.
0: Okay. And then your favorite series on Netflix or on TV? Yeah.
1: Um probably Ozark. Um yeah. It's a new it's a new series, but yeah, it's quite cool.
0: And finally, your go-to drink after a round of golf.
1: Uh, Yeah, I'd probably say Steelworks.
0: Epic. Cool, man. Thank you so much for the time. That was was epic. Cool.
1: Thank you very much, Craig. Sweet. Cheers.
0: Bye. Hope you guys enjoyed that one. Keen truly does have a remarkable story to tell, and it was an absolute thrill for me to bring it to you in the first episode of the Free Drop Golf Podcast. Admittedly, from an eloquent standpoint, it was absolutely shocking on my part. Who begins 30 or 40, maybe even 45 sentences with, I mean? I don't even say that, ever. And yet put me in front of a microphone and I become a bundle of nerves. So my sincere apologies if that became a bit annoying. Because I know for me, to listen back to, it was ridiculous so my sincere apologies. But hopefully, in and amongst my incoherent ramblings, there was something that perhaps resonated with you and made you think about tuning in next week. Next week, I'll be joined by former Junior President's Cup player and Sunshine Tour rookie, Luca Philippi. We'll delve into Luca's background and what it means to have secured his Sunshine Tour card at the very first attempt. I'm a big fan of the fun fact and the scary stat within sport and golf, and these are two elements that will become features of my podcast going forward. That in mind, I'll leave you with these two tidbits of information about Luca. At just 11 years old, he broke 70 for the first time. Can we just take a moment to understand how ridiculous that is? Most guys at 11... Can't reach a par 4 and 2. Can't reach a par 5 and 3. So to break 70 is simply absurd. But it gets better. The dude has shot 61 three times. Most guys, 95%, maybe not 95% of golfers, but a high percentage of golfers, if they shoot Less than 90, they are pumped. In my case, if I shoot 95, I'm over the moon. I'm ordering a second steelworks. I'm celebrating hard. I am super stoked with life. But to shoot 61 is simply remarkable. And to do it three times is, as I say, bizarre, ridiculous, whatever you want to call it. So hopefully that has whet your appetite and you'll be keen to join in next week. Awesome. Cheers.